Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today in the news, the tally of patients in Hawaii alone who tested positive for coronavirus is 204. In the world, almost 800,000 people have been diagnosed. What does that mean for one of our most vulnerable communities here in the islands? those with chronic kidney disease and on dialysis. Can the centers handle patients who test positive? Well, we've got some answers. Dr. Ramona Wong is on the line. She has decades of experience in nephrology managing patients who need dialysis and now runs Aloha Kidney, putting on a series of educational classes about kidney health that are available throughout the islands and soon to be online. Isn't that right, Dr. Wong? That is correct, Kathy. (laughs) Well, I am happy to hear that. So, you know, coronavirus is out there, and I know people are tired of hearing about it, or maybe they're just, they're not tired of it. Maybe they're just, it's hard to keep hearing about it. But, you know, if there are any patients out there who are worried about going to their dialysis center because they're worried of getting exposed, they really shouldn't be. Why not? Um, Dialysis is, life prolonging so you can't avoid dialysis if you want to continue to live that's number one and i think all dialysis patients know when they're sick they still need to come in uh, to get their blood cleaned and for that to help their health and quality of life but uh, the staff is very aware Um, they've already as you know they've already been dealing with um, preventing infection, transmission um, between patients and between staff and patients. So they're fully aware of that. It, it, of course, it helps every set of eyes helps the patient being aware. Sometimes it's a human process, but um, they are there are um, guidelines and policies in place. And in fact, Hawaii is stricter so far from what I understand. Um, than the American Society of Nephrology uh, as far as how to handle uh, and how to use masks during this time of um, COVID-19. So you mentioned that dialysis centers have really experienced staff. They handle things like, I mean, they handle blood, but they also handle Mm -hmm. blood-borne illnesses like hepatitis, HIV. So they're very good at using gloves and personal protective equipment to make sure that they're protected going from patient to patient and also that the patients are protected as well. Correct. So bloodborne borne um, diseases, they're, that, that's like, um, you know, every day in their minds, always attentive. And again, it, it is human. So if they're rushing or they're uh, not being focused in the moment, then it helps that patients um, also participate and remind them, oh, oh, um, I, you know, I think you touched that before you, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So it, it helps that everybody's involved. But for airborne or um, which, you know, that's the thing that the American Society of Nephrology um, conference or national web call uh, the last week and also a couple weeks prior um, emphasizes that the way they look at it and the way the science indicates is that it's a droplet. Um, it's a droplet uh, past infection. It's uh, so it's slightly different. And I'm again, I'm not sure if all the science is out 
and correct, but so far what they understand is it's a droplet transmission. So masks will help prevent droplets from being passed on when people cough or sneeze. So masks are suggested for those who are having symptoms and suspected uh, coughing, fever, that kind of thing, shortness of breath, whatever. But um, it's not necessarily uh, recommended for all others to wear a mask uh, in the unit. However, in Hawaii, everyone that enters the treatment area gets a mask. And then they're also screened ahead of time in either, hopefully before they come in, they call in with if they have fever or shortness of breath or cough um, or any of the other symptoms that might go with COVID-19. But um, if not, they're also met by the staff in the waiting area and asked in, you know, questions to see if they have any of the symptoms or have any risk factors uh, that might make them higher risk for having it and maybe they're asymptomatic. You know, the problem is you don't have symptoms for the first up to 14 days. So um, if you do answer any of those questions that, yes, you might be at risk or you might have it, then there's a plan. You either get moved to a separate room or you are, you know, the, the doctors involved, the you know, Department of Health is supposed to be notified. You know, all those things are kind of come into play. Well, and it certainly sounds like if anybody has symptoms of a respiratory infection and they're a dialysis patient and they need to go have their dialysis completed, they should either call the center, let their nephrologist know, let their primary care doctor know, just be alert and cognizant of that. You know, it's funny because nowadays if you go to walk into a hospital, you know, I work at one and, and, and I know I have friends who work at other hospitals. They will check your temperature. They will make sure you don't have a fever. They will give you a mask before you even enter the waiting area if you express any symptoms of a concern that are respiratory. And it's yeah. it, it's good proactive ways to try and prevent other people from getting sick. Part of mm-hmm. what we're doing with all the hand sanitizer and everything else makes me say, how dirty did we used to be? I mean, you know, I like the fact that there's hand sanitizer whenever I go to different areas, even if it's not direct patient care. But it always makes me think we're, what we're, our ultimate goal is to be proactive and, and protect patients and also protect providers. And protecting patients is not just the one that you're treating right in front of you. It's also the person that's sitting next to them or two paces away. So, you know, one of the things that dialysis centers have to do is maintain that six feet of distance, is try and make sure that people are not congregating together in certain areas. And because of their experience with infection precaution, I think they do have a little bit more knowledge about how to make this happen and work within the parameters of their dialysis center. But we also know that having chronic kidney disease is one of the risk factors for being more vulnerable. So we know that even if you haven't reached the point where you need dialysis, you're in a category of folks, if you have chronic kidney problems, that might put you at an increased risk and affect your immune system because that's just part of what happens as kidney disease progresses is that there are different changes that occur in the body and may make you more susceptible to infection. So when we think about folks who may have just chronic kidney disease that are not yet at the point of needing dialysis treatment, what are some of the good things that they can do 
to help prevent progression of their kidney disease, particularly given that exercise is one of those things we want people to do. It's a little harder to get that in these days. Gyms aren't available and you can go walking outside. You have to keep social distancing in mind. What can chronic kidney patients do? Uh, I I think um, I liked reading the proclamation from, was it, I, I guess, Governor Ige, and it was um, that, yes, um, there are there there's encouragement to stay home, stay away from people, um, but uh, you can continue to go surfing and swimming. <laughs> so I like that. I thought that was only in Hawaii cool, will so. you hear something like that, right? <laughs> right. So um, I uh, I think it all matters. So the way I look at it is, it's nice to number one look at. I don't want to get sick, and you're right. Those with chronic kidney disease. Uh, have a weaker immune system than those who, let's say, exactly like them, but without chronic kidney disease. So the chronic kidney disease factor uh, increases their chances of being more vulnerable to catching the infection as well as sicker if they did get infected. So it's for for sure, it's good for them to, number one, think of how can I not get the infection? Um, and that would be by being as healthy as possible, number one. And so eating right and knowing the quality of the food that you allow into your body. You know, what is in that food? And is it of the quality that my body deserves? And then moving your body, that's very important. Uh, if you don't move it, you lose it and, and you you become weaker. So um, diet, activity, but also, I think the mental thought processes that you allow into your body, your your brain, and your your mind. I think all of that is a choice. And if you um, don't steward that, if you don't take care of the thoughts and information that you allow in, you can find yourself chronically every day, and that will take a toll on your health and immune system as well. So I think being focused in each moment and being really present, and that's how I think we can actually get the most out of life anyway, is to be focused on what we allow into this body. Um, And also, not only how do I not get sick, But for me, it was an extra layer of caution that I apply or incorporate when I decided, okay, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to be a victim. And that, you know, all the ramifications of what I should or shouldn't do to avoid getting sick. But then I also don't want to be a vector. I don't want to be a carrier and give it to somebody um, unintentionally. So that kind of added to the layer of um, focus. Well, I like that idea, not being a vector. That's something all of us need to do. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Ramona Wong on the line. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about some other precautions to try and avoid becoming a vector of illness. And what does it mean to stay at home? Is that the safest place for you if you're concerned about getting infected? And how can you incorporate healthy habits right in your very own home? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors The Rice Partnership and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Ramona Wong on the line, and she is a nephrologist with decades of experience and right now is teaching kidney education classes through Aloha Kidney, and we're talking about what are some of the ways that, particularly given this current pandemic, people can stay safe. We know that those people who unfortunately are undergoing kidney replacement or dialysis, which is life-preserving and definitely necessary, they need to make sure they do their dialysis, sick or not, let their providers know, and there are ways that that can be accommodated, and that dialysis centers are quite good at infection prevention. Right before the break, we were talking with Dr. Wong about how do you make sure that you're not a vector? And, you know, I read something really interesting over the weekend, and it said, don't feel like you're stuck at home. Feel like you're safe at home. And that really resonated quite a bit because, you know, I've got family on the mainland and there's always a concern and a worry about are they going to be okay and what if I can't get to them if they have any needs or what if I go there and then I have difficulty coming back. So, you know, there's always that concept of just being safe at home. So, Dr. Wong, you're at home right now. What are some of the things that you can do in your house that maybe some other people can do, even if they don't have chronic kidney disease? Are there things that you're doing right now to stay fit, stay active, and be careful about what sorts of foods you're eating? Oh, I love that question. But, you know, this is all about me, right? Sorry. (laughs) Well, you're an example, and you are teaching kidney (laughs) classes. So they always say if you want to know what people do, what, what did you do today for activity? Was there any particular exercise that you could do that did not involve interacting with other people? I have, I am reclusive by nature. I like being, I'm a hermit, but so I also, for some reason, have fallen in love with gardening and composting. And I, I joke because I'm retired, right? I'm a, I'm a retired doctor. So I joke with everybody that now I used to be a doctor, but now I'm a manual laborer. And so all I do is I'm always like shoveling things and lifting things. And and then I have pet ducks, so I have to move their pens. I have to move their water. So I think just doing something you love and and with moving, it, that involves moving. Yesterday I vacuumed my house like a maven. I was like, oh, thank God, I need to vacuum my house. But I... I mean, I don't love it, but once I'm into it, I'm into it, and I'm dripping with sweat. And so, you know, cleaning house um, vigorously, moving around, um, doing things outside in your yard, if you have a yard. If you don't, if you live in an apartment, a condo, I mean, it just, if if there's a will, there's a way. You can move in your apartment if you want to. There's plenty of isometric, you know, stand-in-place kind of things that you can do, or, you know, those... um, Wii games or whatever. There's a lot of um, activities you can do. Even sitting down, you can do like quad sets. You know, tightening your thigh muscles or your abs, or you can you can do things sitting down. But um, I love, I really love being outside in the garden. And if you can go outside for exercise, which is allowed, just remember social distancing. Um, we live in a wonderful place that allows us to be outside most days. So um, appreciate it. Now, you mentioned you love gardening, and I know 
that you grow a lot of your own food. I do. And, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to this. This is the last maybe few years, a couple years, and it's amazing what Mother Nature can do with a, if you're interested in allowing her to help you. And then now my son is so, he says, I, Mom, I tell everybody about you. <laughs> because now it's like, it's a good thing that I'm pretty self-sustainable as far as veggies go because of my garden is, is um, providing for me. So, and, you know, we learn more about this whole gut bacteria, our microbiome in the gut, and how composting and working the earth it improves the quality of the bacteria in your own gut. Um, if you eat fresh and you have good quality soil from, you know, you know you're, you're doing it well, you're not using insecticides or pesticides or herbicides, and, and you're using Mother Nature, really. Uh, it, it helps your health and it helps your psyche. It helps, I mean, it's amazing what those bacteria we're learning. They, they have an impact on our, on our existence, our bodily existence. So I, and it lowers the carbon footprint. So, you know, to me, composting gardening is the answer for almost everything. <laughs> Well, it can be the answer for, for those who can do it. But you did touch on a few things there, and you mentioned that for you, gardening is psychologically part of your well-being. And that yeah. aspect of being outside, getting fresh air, we want people to make sure that they enjoy that. So, yes, there are some restrictions on going to group gatherings. We're not supposed to do that, and social distancing. And I know that certain stores, food stores and other stores, have decided they're going to have special hours for our kapuna to make sure that they're not exposed yeah. to other people in large groups to try and help protect them. And, you know, for those folks who have chronic medical conditions, I kind of think they fit into that same category. They may not be the same age group, but they may have other medical conditions that puts them at risk. And so if you want to make sure that you don't get exposed, then you also have to look at where might you get that exposure from. So if you're safe at home, you're safe walking around your block or even walking around your condo, could you also find other ways to be safe even when you do interact in the community? And I think, you know, we heard last week about some services that are available, and we're going to talk next week about some of the psychological implications of things that people can do to help themselves. Now, you also mentioned that it helps your immune system, and I would echo that. I think our sense of well-being is directly tied to how our body functions, and we are just beginning to understand the concept of the gut microbiome. That's a term that you hear a lot more these days about how different bacteria that we put in our body or that grow there naturally help us with digestion and help our body and help protect our immune system and keep us healthy, et cetera. Now, are you, when you teach some of your kidney classes, do you go through some of the nutrition aspect of ways people can help to delay the progression of kidney disease by using nutrition and food as medicine? Yes. It's not specific in the class because I always tell um, the people that come to class that I, I don't know any of their details. I don't even know who they are, honestly, unless they tell me and then my memory uh, factor, that's another issue. But, um, but um, I, so in class, we talk um, generally about how food is probably the most important thing you put in your mouth. Um, it, it is medicine. It is it, it. It you can't actually substitute medicine for good quality food. 
um, though we try to at times as a society. But that's, to me, um, um, we get lost thinking about supplementing or uh, making up for a poor diet. So most, in fact, um, I think there's seven of the most common the 10 most common causes of death in America from are, are chronic diseases. And so, and most of those chronic diseases are, re, are, rela- are actually related to poor quality nutrition. And so we need to, and these times like COVID-19 will maybe have you ask the deeper questions, ask the more important questions. What is life all about? What do I want to experience? Am I honoring my body? And the food that you put in, I mean, a lot of it is, as uh, there's a food journalist, Michael Pollan, as he puts it, it's food-like edible substances. Really, we should eat real food and more directly from nature. But then kidney patients sometimes have specific things that their kidneys don't do. And every kidney patient is an individual. They're not lumped all together. One diet doesn't fit all. There's, it's really important kidney patients not go on the internet and just believe what they read about kidney diet because there's no such thing. They're an individual and they need to work directly individually with a specific dietitian that's interested in kidney disease, not just any dietitian, somebody who knows and is interested in kidney disease. And then they can work on the nuances with the patient's goals and preferences in mind. So that's the driving factor. All right. Well, we are going to come right back after a quick break. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm talking to Dr. Ramona Wong about what should our chronic kidney patients do in this current situation and what can they do to help their health overall as time goes on. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu co-working. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, here with Dr. Ramona Wong. And at the top of the hour, we were talking about kidney disease patients who happen to be on dialysis. Should they be more fearful of the situation with coronavirus? And if they get sick, yes, they are more vulnerable, and this is a serious situation for them. But certainly they are in good hands when they go to the dialysis centers that are very well experienced in handling these sorts of conditions, and they handle bloodborne illnesses. And although this is a respiratory illness, to the best of our knowledge right now, they still also have very stringent criteria and they follow them very carefully. So good to know that our kidney disease patients are protected. We've also talked a little bit about some of the ways that they can help protect themselves even at home. Continuing with exercise, making sure that they're doing some muscle strengthening activities. Dr. Wong, you mentioned doing some exercises in the home, build up muscle strength. That's particularly important for those people who have chronic kidney disease because there's a tendency for them to lose muscle mass. Is that right? Exactly. Especially on dialysis, any type of dialysis. Uh, It's a muscle wasting process, even though it's life prolonging. the process itself will increase muscle wasting. And so making sure you build up those muscles is critically important, particularly not just when you're on dialysis. Hopefully by then you've been working on it. But there are different stages of chronic kidney disease. So when we think about those stages, a lot of people say, I've been told I have stage 3 or stage 4 or stage 5. 
What are those stages and what are some of the things people can do if they've been identified at a certain stage to really help delay the progression? Let's start with stage three. Yeah, the stages for chronic kidney disease are based on an estimate of remaining kidney function. So the, the lab term is EGFR, so estimated glomerular filtration rate, and it's usually reported right under their serum or blood creatinine level. It's based on the creatinine level of their age, gender, and whether they're African-American or not. So this estimate of remaining kidney function is what determines your stage. And uh, stage uh, three would be somewhere between 30 to 60, EGFR of 30 to 60. Uh, Stage four would be 15 to 30, and stage five would be less than 15. So um, at what point do people start dialysis? Is it when they're below 10 or below 15 or when they have some other problems in their blood tests that show maybe their potassium is too high or something along those lines? Yes. Um, it's always it's recommended. It's not recommended to start dialysis proactively. Um, even if your GFR or kidney remaining remain estimated kidney function is below 10, it's still recommended to start dialysis when you start to have symptoms. So the better you manage your balancing what goes in with what com- can come out, um, with, even though you have reduced kidney function, you may, be, you may not have any symptoms or any problems with your lab test until a very low level. Some people are, have a GFR 4 and um, still feeling like, okay. But other people, you know, they're, they're not able to balance quite that well until so they they start having symptoms that cannot be medically managed when their GFR is 9 or 8. So really it depends. Um, And up to the GFR is an estimate. So if you really want to know, then um, some doctors will order or some patients will ask uh, for the 24-hour urine collection that actually measures kidney function because the GFR is an estimate of what percentage is left. Um, So I'm sorry. Um, Well, the idea is that... Just because your kidney function may not be at a level you want it to be, there are some times when there are some things you can do to help delay that progression. And earlier we talked about nutrition, and those are some of the ways that you can help promote better health for your body. There are some medications that people can take. There's been a little bit of a flurry about ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. And actually there are some studies going on now to see are they protective for the infection of coronavirus or, you know, there was an initial report, maybe there could be an association, but we're not necessarily seeing people are more susceptible. We're looking at studies to try and figure that out. But if you are on those medications, current guidelines suggest don't stop them. Talk to your provider because those are the types of medicines that can actually really help you with your overall kidney function and delaying that progression. Is that right? Right. They've been proven to prolong kidney function, as long as they're taken correctly, um, their blood pressure lowering classes of medicine. So you don't want to lower the blood pressure too low. That would hurt your kidney. So it's really been studied and proven in those with um, high blood pressure, protein in their urine, which indicates there's damage to your filters. Um, and in particular in diabetics who have hypertension or high blood pressure and protein in their urine with um, uh as far as lowering their blood pressure, not too low, but um, low, it, 
preferentially lowers the blood pressure in the filters of the kidney, and that's how it saves and makes them last longer. There are other diabetes-lowering, uh, diabetes medications that also um, have been shown to prolong kidney function and help cardiac outcomes as well. So that there are medications that are proven in certain patients to prolong kidney function. Well, and what basically what people need to do is talk to their kidney specialist, talk to their primary care provider, make sure they're doing the best with their nutrition and their exercise, trying to boost their immune system by taking good care of themselves. And if they do need to go on dialysis, making sure they're alert and telling their providers if they have any concerns or illnesses when they arrive for their dialysis treatments. I want to thank you, Dr. Ramona Wong, for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, please check out our podcast on hawaiipublicradio.org or on the HPR app. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Our engineer is David Chong, and we will see you next week. We're going to discuss some of the psychological impacts of living during this current time of a pandemic. Stay safe out there. We'll see you then.